This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Whereas the French have made mistakes, the French at, at heart were hoping to try to secure the area and create security, the Russians have no such goals. The Russians are there in order to destabilize the region. That's Michael Shorkin, an analyst with 14 North Strategies, a Washington-based consultancy on how anti-French sentiment and pro-Russian support have followed Burkina Faso's latest coup. Details coming up. Also, ECOWAS has sent a delegation to Burkina Faso after its second coup this year, and the UN says a roadside bomb killed three UN peacekeepers in the Central African Republic. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. But first, our top story, the trial of Felicine Kabuga, one of the last fugitives charged over the 1994 Rwanda genocide, resumed at The Hague today. Kabuga is charged with financing the genocide that killed more than 800,000 Tutsis and moderate Hutus in 100 days. Kabuga evaded justice for more than two decades, allegedly used his influence and wealth to incite the killing of thousands of ethnic Tutsi civilians. He also alleged to have used his resources for radio broadcasts in Rwanda, denouncing the Tutsis and funding the Interhamwe militia that carried out the genocide. For the latest on Felicine Kabuga's trial at The Hague, I talked to VOA's Venuts Shimimana. I started out by asking him what was the focus of the court hearing today. The court hearing today at The Hague focused on the presentation of the first evidence. The first evidence meaning the first witness brought in by the prosecution. And it was all about the founding of the uh, RTLM radio, the propaganda radio, and the role played by Felicien uh, Kabugazi accused. So the first witness uh, was confronted by the prosecutor who asked him uh, what he knew about Kabuga and how he met Kabuga. First of all, I needed to tell you that we don't know who he is because his name was not disclosed, the voice was changed, and the identity also was not shared with the audience. Uh, what we know is what we heard in the courtroom because the witness uh, claimed that uh, on two occasions, in November and in February 1994 and November 1993, he met Kabuga himself at the Ministry of Information where he was working. And he said that Kabuga, who came to that meeting with a delegation of other RTLM founding members, were confronted by the minister about the editorial agenda of the RTLM. Uh, and uh, it seems, according to the witness, that Kabuga and his, uh, uh, the, member, the other members of RTLM were adamant to 
continue to broadcast and to call Hutus to be vigilant. And this, especially in November, was said to have been done after the killing of the Burundian president, Mercure Ndadai. The suspect, Felicien Kabuga, decided to boycott the trial opening and stayed in from his jail cell last week. But the judges said the hearing would go on, so it went on. Venust, this is the second time now Kabuga did not show up again in court. Do we know the reason why? In fact, Kabuga was not in the courtroom, but he was somewhere else. He was in another room, a small room in his prison. And the reason why he didn't turn up in the courtroom was that he said from the beginning that he doesn't want to be represented by the French lawyer, Emmanuel Atit, who he said that he is not representing and defending his interests. So for the second time, the, the prosecutor said that Kabuga won't be in the courtroom, but you could see him uh, uh, in, in, in his prison, and so where he was sitting, he was following, and probably he won't be seen in this courtroom yet until his demands are met. Uh, Venust now uh, talking about prosecutors. We understand the prosecutor wanted the hearing to be extended today. What was the response from the judges? In fact, the first response came from the uh, Kabuga's lawyer, Emmanuel Aichit, who stood to ask the presiding judge that they needed to take into account that the, for medical reasons, uh, Kabuga can't stand trial more than two hours a day, and that extending would definitely be against the will of the, uh, his medical uh, advisors. So he, the presiding judge understood that for that reason, the trial should not go on and it was stopped. And he promised that the, uh, tomorrow as well, they will go for two hours a day. That was VOA's Venuts Shimi Imana talking to me straight from The Hague. After Algeria agreed to buy advanced Russian fighters and air defense equipment, a group of congressmen sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken saying the North African country is in violation of the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. That act allows for sanctions against any party that engages in significant transactions with the representatives of the defense or intelligence sectors of the government of the Russian Federation. George Landreth, president and CEO of Frontiers of Freedom, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El-Shanawi the practical effect of this letter. Well, you make a very good point there because a letter from Congress doesn't have any actual official legal impact, meaning it's not a law, of course. But I also think it puts a lot of pressure on the Biden administration. It puts them on notice that they must do something or they will open themselves up to, excuse me, bipartisan criticism for making America weaker and putting America at risk because of inaction. And if the letter weren't bipartisan, if it were just a bunch of Republicans that were complaining about it, I think the Biden administration could dismiss it as some sort of attack from the right or MAGA Republicans. But that's not available to him. 
there are a number of very liberal Democrats who signed the letter. So I think he either needs to act or be prepared to face bipartisan criticism. So I think the letter could have real impact and could put real pressure on Biden to act, but he may have to here. And I think that's probably a, a helpful thing. Just last year, Algeria finalized an arms deal of over $7 billion with Russia, which included an advanced Russian fighter aircraft that has never been sold before. What is the impact of such a deal on regional security, given the rising tensions between Algeria and Morocco? I think, obviously, Algeria having advanced weapons, putting these kinds of weapons in the hands of a government that has proven itself of late, certainly to be pretty irresponsible as Algeria. Algeria has obviously been isn't a good thing. But at the same time, I think it's very clear that Morocco is a strong nation and it has strong and stable leadership. And so I think that you're going to end up being fine. And of course, on top of that, they're a very longstanding, in fact, the very first ally to the United States. The two governments do joint military exercises together, which shows a level of cooperation, a level of integration, and, a, and a, I think a belief that they need to be united and working together. And so in addition to the strength that I believe Morocco has, because its leadership has been wise and, and I think has been working to make sure that Morocco has economic opportunity and that its economy is growing, even despite a pandemic and things like that. Those sorts of things, when a nation is strong, make it safer because strength is the best defense. But I also think that it would be a mistake for Algeria to assume that in the balance, it only has to worry about Morocco. While I do believe Morocco is capable of defending itself in any conflict with Algeria, I think it's worth pointing out that I do not believe they would be left alone. I think the joint efforts of the two nations and the coordination in the past demonstrates that Morocco would absolutely have American aid and help. But would the advanced Russian weapons to Algeria heighten the conflict over the Western Sahara? That may be what Algeria is hoping for. They may think that just having them kind of sitting there as if they're a threat might give them some sort of an upper hand. But my impression of the leadership of Morocco has been that they are both intelligent and wise. And so I think they can understand and see through that and realize that they have their own defenses, their own capabilities, and they can also rely upon the U.S.'s aid if they need it. So I think it's probably just a little bit of showboating, but I can't imagine a sane leader would want to start a war in these circumstances. So I'm not trying to diminish the risks that Algeria poses. I just think that Morocco is a formidable foe and they're also a restrained foe. For example, Morocco is not trying to invade or do things to create instability in Algeria. But of course, Algeria is doing that to Morocco in terms of the, the threats. I'm not saying they've actually invaded. So I think this uh, purchase was designed to give that concern. And I think Algeria is proving itself to be the, the neighborhood troublemaker that everyone kind of goes, yeah, you don't want to turn out like that. So hopefully they'll see the error of their ways and stop. That was George Landreth, president and CEO of Frontiers of Freedom, speaking with VOA's Mohammed El-Shinawi. 
The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, has sent a delegation to Burkina Faso after the country's second coup this year. Burkina Faso is one of a few West African states in recent years where the military has taken over as Islamist militants threatened the region. From Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, Henry Wilkins reports. As a delegation from the West African political bloc ECOWAS arrived in Ouagadougou on Tuesday, protesters took to the streets outside the airport. They shouted anti-French and anti-ECOWAS slogans and said it was time for Burkina Faso to manage its own return to security. The country has been locked in a conflict with militant groups linked to Islamic State and Al-Qaeda for almost seven years, experiencing its second coup in eight months this weekend. ECOWAS is expected to establish relations with the new junta leader, Captain Ibrahim Traore, and to reinforce a two-year transition period for the country to return to democracy, set up under the previous junta. Paul Menny, as an analyst at UK-based think tank Chatham House, asked what the delegation hopes to achieve, he said they may want to gently explore what the attitude of the new leadership is towards military cooperation with other ECOWAS countries and particularly Niger, uh, with whom uh, the Demeba regime had built a particularly strong close military partnership. And they may hope also to get a bit of a steer as to whether the um, new regime will maintain the military cooperation with French forces. Burkina Faso is seen as a strategic linchpin in the Western Sahel conflict with terrorism already spreading from its southern border to West Africa's coastal states. ECOWAS has a major stake in Burkina Faso's success in security matters. Michael Shirkin is an analyst with 14 North Strategies, a Washington-based consultancy. Burkina Faso falls, or as it falls, it puts in danger a lot of other countries that surround Burkina Faso. Today and over the weekend, many demonstrators could be seen waving Russian flags, while the junta has indicated it is looking to turn to new international partners, potentially Russia, to help rectify its security problems. Shirkin added, This also is bad news because uh, whereas the French uh, have made mistakes, the French at, at heart were hoping to try to secure the area and create security, the Russians have no such goals. The Russians are there in order to destabilize the region and to stick as many fingers in the eyes of France as possible to make everything worse. And we've already seen from Mali that what Wagner would do if they were to come to Burkina Faso is basically just kill civilians. Andrew Lebovich is a research fellow at the Klingendale Institute, a Netherlands-based think tank. Asked what he thought the new junta could mean for security in Burkina Faso and the region, he said... It's already a quite dire security situation, and so anything that's further disruptive um, to the armed forces, to the chain of command, to ongoing operations would have a negative impact. Uh, it's going to make the already meager level of regional cooperation more complicated and more difficult. Thousands have died in Burkina Faso due to the conflict, and almost two million people have been displaced. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Wagadougou, Burkina Faso. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. The UN says a roadside bomb killed three UN peacekeepers in Central African Republic on Monday. Reuters says the attack occurred near the village of Kaita, near the border with Cameroon. The UN's MINUSCA 
peacekeepers say a battalion was on patrol when it hit an explosive device. Bombs are often used by armed groups in the area. Reuters notes that violence broke out about 10 years ago when mainly Muslim Seleka rebels ousted President Francois Bozizi, leading to reprisals for mostly Christian militias. In response, the UN has deployed over 14,000 peacekeepers, 147 who have been killed in the operation. Fighting has displaced more than 1 million civilians. In South Africa, police are cracking down on two Nigerian organized crime syndicates operating sophisticated cyber crime networks. The two gangs, sometimes also referred to as cults, are called the Air Lords and the Black Axe. Investigators say they're using South Africa as a base because its communication systems are generally much better than elsewhere on the continent. Darren Taylor reports. Agents from Interpol and South Africa's Hawks unit recently raided a house in Pretoria where they seized laptops, phones and an unlicensed firearm. This followed information from the U.S. Secret Service which is investigating many cases of Americans defrauded of millions of dollars in online scams. Hawks Colonel Katlejo Mohale says two Nigerian men, alleged to be members of the Air Lords, were arrested. She alleges they committed a variety of cyber crimes, including a romance scam targeting lonely and vulnerable Americans. They look into your profile as you interact on Facebook or on Twitter and they can assess that you most probably have a husband or a spouse that has died and some of your kids are not staying with you and they entice you into a relationship so that you can trust them and then they start borrowing small amounts of money so that you get comfortable with them and then eventually they start asking for big amounts. Mohale says a safe inside the suspect's home was packed with cash. She says victims of the Air Lords Pretoria operation are worldwide, but mostly in America. This is an assistance that we are offering to the United States because they have been looking for these suspects as well. They will most probably be extradited to the United States where they will stand for the charges that have been laid that side. Investigative journalist Aaron Hyman says South Africa also has many victims. People have told me how they gave their pensions away, how they gave their families money away. Talking about people who really don't have a lot, people who, who are vulnerable. They might have lost a spouse or they, you know, they were divorced in their 50s, 60s, 70s, trying to find romance online and then they get taken. It's not just the financial trauma. These people are taken on a serious psychological horror roller coaster. It is incredible when you speak. Interpol says the Air Lords and Black Axe are fierce rivals in the cybercrime realm. Mohale says they're also involved in business email compromise fraud, more commonly known as BEC scams. In a typical BEC scam, the cyber attacker impersonates someone the email recipient should trust, like a manager. The sender tricks the recipient into transferring money to a bank account belonging to a so-called money mule. BEC fraud also sometimes involves hacking of email accounts. Last year, 
the Hawks and several international law enforcement agencies broke a Black Axe cybercrime operation in Cape Town. Hyman says the roots of both the Air Lords and the Black Axe lie in Nigerian university fraternities. Started out as that, as a, as a way to give students political representation and a political voice and brotherhood after decolonization period. And then it uh, unfortunately turned into quite vicious organized crime rackets. He says the cybercrime gangs are so sophisticated that they hire professional linguists to write scripts for them so they don't make language errors that could raise suspicions. It's carefully crafted, it's perfected, and it works like a charm. They have many, many victims. So in South Africa, I'm, I'm afraid to say, there really has been very, very little justice for victims. There have been a few BEC uh, cases. Hyman says African law enforcement agencies generally don't have the skills or the resources to properly investigate cybercrimes such as romance scams, and prosecutions are rare. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Ukraine's top diplomat, Dmitry Kuleba, began a 10-day tour across Africa this week in his words to better explain Ukraine to his counterparts in Africa and enlist their support in opposing Russia's aggression. Osman Sain, director of the Dakar-based West Africa Research Center, tells VOA's Carol Van Dam that what Kuleba is hearing from African officials based on his first stop in Senegal is likely not very encouraging. The name of a country, Ukraine, came up in this part of the world only because of the Russian invasion. If you ha- didn't have a Russian invasion, uh, you could expect a whole year passing on the African continent without Ukraine being known, because historically, Africa hasn't had very strong and very close tie with Ukraine, which is not the same thing as Russia. Russia has been here in a most visible way immediately after the Cold War and the two blocs, the United States engaging in political uh, activities for the West and the USSR doing it for people who call themselves communist countries. And in our history, you've had many professional, many uh, senior leaders who got trained in the Soviet Union or in the USSR and even got married there and came back. Would you say that Russia has more or less controlled the narrative in West Africa and even other parts of Africa? Oh, yes. Well, the narrative concerning the eastern countries like Yugoslavia, etc., Albania, uh, Romania, when you said Romania in French, Romania, there was a bell would ring. But uh, for all the other uh, countries uh, who used to be the Soviet Union, well, uh, Russia controlled the story. Uh, it was uh, the story of Russia as the old Russian Empire and the communist countries led by Russia. In this day and age, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out what's happening on the ground and with the internet and um, availability to all different kinds of news sources, why have so many African countries refused to condemn Africa for the invasion of Ukraine? Well, look, look, uh, 
why is it that with all the crises uh, blowing up in Africa, there is not much reaction from the other parts of the world? Why is it that with the crisis in Mali, with the crisis in Burkina Faso, and with the jihadists, we have what we had with the French army? Those are also questions to consider. Uh, so Africans have got the inflation that they want, people want to drag them in, in this situation, but when it comes to conflicts or crisis situation in Africa, nobody practically budge. This is what I've been hearing many leaders saying, that geographically it's so very far away from us, uh, politically also it's far away in terms of uh, diplomatic relationship. That was Osman Sain, director of the West Africa Research Center. He was speaking to my colleague, Carol Van Dam from Dakar, Senegal. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhibi in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Cedric Franklin, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.